You don't even like sports. Welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. But I mean, you wouldn't even know because you don't even like sports. Wow, how could you say that about me? I think that makes a good introduction to this podcast, actually. I think we're just going about how now. you don't even like sports. It's about how you don't even like sports, right. You don't you don't you don't talk about that like that. You're Jeff May and you don't even like sports. That's a lie. That's a lie. My name is Jeff May. That part's true. That um, I think was the least b- believable part. The most believable was that you don't even like sports. And I'm Adam Todd Brown and I love sports. You don't, and that's why we call this show is You Don't Even Like Sports, because it's about how you don't even like sports. That is patently untrue. Hey, everybody, welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports. Sports podcast for people that don't like sports. I am actually Adam Todd Brown. That was true. And you don't like sports. And that part wasn't true, and that that is Jeff May also. Yes, correct. We are your hosts, and we are officially kicking off what season is this if we i think can. this is season four officially because we did well i think jose counts as one see i think so too so we got canseco rodman tony stewart tony maradona stewart, maradona and now welcome to john daly season welcome baby. to the daily show that's what we're calling this hell yeah we actually are gonna call it the daily show like unofficial <laughs> title fair this is yeah season five I'm excited. When we first came up with the idea for this show, this was one of the first people that we said we got to do. He's an obvious choice, for sure. Yeah, because he's also an underappreciated choice. How many Tiger Woods podcasts are there? Yeah. You know? Probably a lot. I've never checked, but I bet there's a ton. But John Daly? Yeah, he deserves it. He's His life and career is fascinating. It's wild. And I'm glad uh, that as you addressed it, because when we're going to talk about it, we both compare him to the same exact other athlete. The really obvious comparison is Tony Stewart, because John Daly, he's a professional golfer for people who are unaware. He's also quite the loose cannon. He says crazy things. He does crazy things. And it alienates his fellow golfers quite a bit. I think of him, I, I think of David Wells. Oh, yeah, I had was David who Wells. who I was going with. <laughs> I had David yeah, Wells. Because I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, yes, the Tony Stewart thing with that, but like David Wells, because a periodically elite athlete that looks like the guy that should be watching the sport at a bar. Yeah, he's like the anti-athlete. He's performing at the top of his game, at the highest level, while doing none of the things you should do to be in shape and compete at that level yeah it's like almost like you're i mean obviously they do work hard no matter what but like the amount of raw talent that you can see in somebody that is really just not motivating themselves at all to like hone their body but they just happen to just be so fucking good at what they do that you can't deny it yeah he's almost like a reverse dennis rodman in that way too because dennis rodman is arguably one of the loosest cannons out there. I mean, he's never killed a guy that we know of, but beyond that. Important to add that we know of, by the way. Of course, of course, for legal reasons, if nothing else. We don't want to get sued by the families of Dennis Rodman's murder victims. Yeah, just I'm just picturing Dennis Rodman in Korea being like, so you mean I can just put, point out anybody? <laughs> and you'll just kill him for me? Oh, what about that guy? Oh, I didn't know you would do that. 
Yeah, and the thing about John Daly, he's good. He's like he's really good, but with Dennis Rodman, he works. Like he really, mm. really works hard. And that's one like no one ever, ever denies that. Every teammate, every coach is like he works, he does his job, he knows what he's doing. Everybody that isn't in the in the WCW. Yeah. Because they were like, he's not working. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's only got so much time. But John Daly doesn't. All of his practice seems like it's just because he liked to play golf. He liked to play golf. He liked to chain smoke for a while there. He liked to chain eat M&Ms, which we'll get to on a future I respect episode. Respect the shit out of that. <laughs> that shit is crazy. And yeah, he's... Probably more known for his personal problems, but one of the things I found early on in researching this is golf is the way it is today, mostly because of John Daly. Because one of the things like Tiger Woods was really known for is his tee shots when he would drive the ball, which if you're, I know the people listening to this don't even like sports, but you can picture a tee shot. It's that iconic first shot on any golf hole. And Tiger Woods would drive the ball like 300 plus yards routinely. And that's a common thing now. But John Daly was the first person to do that. And I think what it really comes down to is power. Like, I don't know if you remember what Tiger Woods looked like when he was hitting the ball 320 yards, but he was cut. Yeah. Yeah. Like this dude was hitting the weight room. And that actually is one of the things like because they you see what Daly can do. And Daly does it just because he's naturally like powerful like he's got a lot of mass to move and he's got a really unconventional swing that is hard to replicate like he swings a golf club like most other golfers do not so the only alternative to keep up with him is to get in tiger woods shape so you can hit a golf ball 300 plus yards every time and that is the change that john daly forced on golf he was like listen i hit the ball so far you're all going to have to start working out more to keep up. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm going to eat 25 burritos during this round of golf. Yeah, I'm going to eat 15 bags of peanut M&Ms. <laughs> it's so crazy. Not to me. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right, right? I mean, peanut M&Ms, arguably the best M&M. And that's probably like eight bags of share size, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's not hitting, Which? The, he's not hitting the fun size bags. No, but I mean, you know, because there's the regular off-the-counter shot and then the share size. But I don't know if they had the share size uh, as readily available in the 90s the way they have it now. Where it's like, he was getting the ones between Halloween and the ones I bring to the movies. Yeah, his uh, style of golf, he came up with this name, but it's pretty neat. Grip it and rip it, which just means he hits the ball really hard and really far. He's kind of like Ricky Bobby, too. He's, if you've seen Talladega Nights, that was sort of the Ricky Bobby aesthetic when it came to driving, was just go fast. Yeah, just go for it. Like, just club it. It kind of seems like Daly's Rise sort of contributed to Happy Gilmore's existence. I, yeah, I could see that. Like, you can almost see that where it's like a schlub that can just overpower the ball to the point where it's like laughable that people think they can compete. Yeah, it was fun to watch. I mean, John Daly, just seeing a guy look like that and go out and compete the way he did, it was pretty cool. And I mean, he's still playing golf. Now he looks like fucking Santa Claus. He's got a gigantic white beard. I don't know if he cut it, but he's aging exactly the way you'd expect John Daly 
to age, which is not gracefully. No. So let's talk about his upbringing a little bit. He was actually born in California, April 28th, 1966, in Carmichael, California. So California, but not liberal California. Yeah, California like guns and sand California. California the way upstate New York is New York. You think of that second when you think of New York and then New York City first. His family moved to Dardendale, Arkansas when he was four. It's very funny because it seems like they just looked at him and you're like, we got to get this kid to Arkansas. That is an Arkansas-ass kid we got here. Yeah, he's definitely got Arkansas energy and it could just come from being born or being raised in Arkansas, but it feels like he was born with it also. He started playing golf at the age of four. That is the first time he ever swung a golf club. Got his first real set of clubs at the age of six. That same year, he played his first nine-hole round of golf and shot a 42, albeit from the woman's tee. Should we explain golf scoring to the best of our ability? Because that he shot a 42 might not mean shit to people. The thing about golf is there is a set number of shots that it's supposed to take to get your ball in the hole. They call it par. And a 42 for a nine-round hole, that means he took 42 shots to get through that round. And the par for a full round of golf is usually between like 70 and 72, 73. So for a nine-hole round, he's a little above par, but also he's six years old. Yeah, he's a child. So huge. What's interesting at least from a development of his game standpoint, is the golf clubs he was given at the age of six were too long for him because they were adult clubs and he's a child. And someone offered to cut them down for him, which that's a thing you can do. If you've ever seen a golf club, it's got this long plastic handle or leather handle at the top. So you can cut a section of it out and just put that handle back over it. it. But he he declined that offer. It makes sense as a six-year-old because it... Feels like that would be breaking something that you got. A little bit, yeah. Like, even if someone tells you, like, no, it's okay, I'd be like, no. And also, I I doubt he was thinking about it this way, because it's kind of an adult line of thinking, but you're going to grow into them. Like, why cut them down to a point that is useful for, like, six months of your life? Because you're going to start growing. So he, he actually credits that with helping him develop his golf swing, which is very unusual. On his backswing, so think of when you're, like, cocking a gun yeah, you, yeah, to like, shoot. Or, or, like, when you're holding a baseball bat ready to hit. Right. Normally, the standard in golf is that you want your club to be sort of parallel to the ground on that backswing. And with John Daly, his backswing, the head of the club damn near touches his foot. Like, he takes it way, way, way back. And the thing about it is that's way harder to control. So if you time it right, you're going to hit the ball a million miles like John Daly does. It's like a pendulum swing, yeah. Yeah, and if you fuck it up, if you fuck the timing up just a little bit, you're going to hit the ball into the ocean like John Daly does a whole lot also. A lot of his outbursts on the golf course involve him hitting like four or five shots into the water in a row and then just storming off and quitting in disgust. (laughs) <laughs> because his style is so unique. It, yeah, it's it's when it works, boy, does that work, though. Yeah. He also, he's a self-taught 
golfer. The traditional way to learn golf is you go to your local golf course and there's going to be a professional there, someone who was good enough to make the PGA Tour at some point. And that means they're good enough to teach you how to play golf. John Daly, on the other hand, learned from instructional drawings featuring Jack Nicklaus in Golf Digest. Jack Nicklaus, one of like every golfer's favorite golfer. Yeah, he's, he's considered the Michael Jordan of golf. Right. And you have to picture the, like, I don't know if people listening to this have ever seen those posters that show you how to dance, and they've got, like, the dance steps that show where your feet should go. That's how John Daly learned to play golf. Just, like, drawings that say, here, swing this way, do that. And fun fact, that's how I learned to throw a baseball when Yeah, I remember that's I how you a threw kid. a curve, right? Yeah. I don't remember what the book was, but it just had the grip and the hand motion for all these different pitches. And I just studied that and then went out and practiced. And I had a mean fucking slider uh, the whole time I played baseball. I remember you did that brush back of that kid. That was a strike. Yeah, that was a moment. But how would you know? You don't even like sports. How could you say such a thing? And smooth segue alert. John Daly, in addition to being self-taught, he did most of his practicing on baseball diamonds, like Little League baseball fields. He would... uh, practice his drives by hitting the ball into the outfield, obviously, and he would aim them for left, right, or center. And then he would practice chip shots by hitting balls to each of the individual bases. It seems to me like he would have hit a lot of home runs. You would think. That 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 one thing I was like, yeah? Yeah, because a Little League baseball diamond, that's 200 feet, maybe. The only way I can think of is maybe it might be like some of the ones I grew up with where they were just like, there's no fence. Which that's always the worst. Like if you're playing outfield and the ball gets past you and it's traveling at any velocity and there's no fence, you're going to like, you're going to pick that up in the parking lot of a nearby middle school or something. Yeah, you're running a, you're running a quarter mile just to, just to get the game moving. So one of the important features of John Daly's childhood is that his dad was gone a lot. His dad was a construction worker who worked on like power plants. So he would get sent all around the country to go work on power plants. When dad was home, he would take John Daly to a local country club called Bay Ridge. And at the age of six, he starts playing golf regularly with adults. I mean, that's got to feel interesting. Yeah, especially the part where at the age of 13, he wins a tournament at this golf club that is it's mostly adults and then him and he was 13 when this happened the following year they put an age limit in place probably like 18 for entering the tournament because no one wanted to get embarrassed by john daly again yeah just 13 year old john daly pushing the dicks in the dirt of all these arkansas dipshits trying to play golf it also lends to explaining why john daly was the way he was because he was surrounded by adults doing adult shit playing this game as a child like uh, as a hugely formative time so that's going to shift who you are right and not just that he's sort of raising himself because oh yeah his dad's gone a whole bunch but then once the kids he had two sisters and then there's him and he was the youngest but once they got old enough to kind of be home alone mom would go on these road trips with dad and she would be gone weeks at a time and would just come home for the weekend and check in and then be gone for weeks at a time again. That seems very Arkansas, right? Oh, very much so. Like, I don't mean to just stereotype an entire state, but like that's, that seems like something particularly Southern. Yeah. 
you're 16. You can take care of the family now. I'm going to go live in Pennsylvania for a couple weeks. Yeah, you're 14. You work in the mines. You can pay the bills. It's definitely not the recommended means of parenting, especially in the case of John Daly, it turns out. Because when when you're around adults, like you said, he's he's playing golf with adults. He's raising himself. He's gone. His, his parents are gone all the time. But when you're around adults all the time, you want to do adult shit too. And that includes maybe having a, a few sips of beer, which John Daly did for the first time at the age of eight. Well, yeah, that's two years of watching grown men drink beer and he's already kicking their asses. Yeah. So he's like, I should be able to do this. I conquered them. It's like a title belt. And here's the thing. He does go on to also have a pretty impressive drinking ability. Like he was probably Honestly, right at a kid as a kid. He would have drank them yeah. under the table. Two, he's a prodigy in two specific <laughs> talents. Exactly. So he got drunk for the first time for real at the mature age of 12. And it happened in very John Daly fashion. It turns out his dad also made his own wine in the basement of the family home. Prison wine. <laughs> yeah, it was Muscatel. And he would have John and his sister stomp the grapes to make this wine, sometimes for like hours at a time. And one time he and his sister got pissed about it and they stole a quart of wine and they drank it. And that's the first time he got drunk. Here's a quote. It tasted great, just like grape Kool-Aid, but we got drunk. Boy, did we get drunk. I mean, we were drunker than Cooter Brown. And Jeff, I think you know what that means. Timeless reference. <laughs> oh, Cooter Brown. I hope that's not racist. Yeah, you're just like, what? who is that? <laughs> so along with child foot wine, dad also drank a whole lot of whiskey. And he was sometimes physically abusive, which is also going to... Both of those things are going to drive a child toward alcohol if someone doesn't step in and go, hey, everything your parents are doing is bad. And no one did that. Fair. I would like to add that uh, Cooter Brown is actually just a fictional way to describe being drunk. <laughs> okay, good. Like, Because I was wondering about that. I was like, what the fuck? Cooter Brown is, that's like being like, oh, I was in high heaven. Less editing work for me. Yeah. So he was he was 14 and his sister was in college at the point that mom starts going off to stay with dad for weeks at a time. And they lived on a property with lots of land. So they would hold these parties that are the parties like you see in movies and TV shows where you're like, there's no parties that actually happen like that. There's always a fire and one fight. Right. And he these parties would attract two to three hundred people eventually because they would have them all the time. They had all this land. And at first it was just their friends, but word got around. So eventually he's he's having these huge parties just getting drunk all the time as a teen. But through all that, he's still really fucking good at golf this whole entire time. I mean, that's what he does for fun. Yeah. Drinking golf. He keeps playing. He keeps practicing. He joins a junior golf league called the American Junior Golf Association. He is disqualified from his final junior golf tournament after showing up still drunk from the night before and being caught with a bottle of Jack Daniels in his golf bag. Hell, the hair of the dog there. And this is age 17, I think, 16 or 17 at best. Eh, I see. I can see that. 
Yeah, I mean, by that point, it's it's a little less unusual to be drinking. But also, that's like you expect an athlete to take on a drug or alcohol problem like this after they get rich. Like oh, yeah, right. Sean Kemp or something like that. Yeah, but not if you have basement wine. Yeah, not if dad's brewing up the muscatel in the musky basement. Mm-hmm. Tastes I like think, shag carpeting. I think musty was the word I was going for there. It That's works. Fine. Musky could work. You don't know yeah. if you have like a like a badger down there or something. <laughs> so after getting disqualified from that tournament, shortly thereafter, he enrolls at the University of Arkansas on a golf scholarship. Yeah, because they're like, oh, that's not a problem. That's our other sport. You want to join that team too? What's weird is when he gets recruited by this coach, a guy named Steve Loy, he's fat already. He's out of shape already, but he's good at golf. And this guy recruits him with no problem, doesn't mention his weight at all. Then John Daly shows up for the first practice, and this coach is like, by the way, you have to lose 60 pounds before I'll let you actually play. So John Daly doesn't really have a choice. He has to figure out how to lose weight. And the first healthy lifestyle change he makes is he stops drinking beer and starts drinking whiskey. Like an adult. Here's the thing. I, I drank my way into type 2 diabetes uh, at one point in my life. And it was because I was drinking Steel Reserve every night, which is beer, but it's like hobo beer. And uh, it, it's 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 very strong. It's got a lot of sugar in it. And they were like, man, you got diabetes now. And I was like, all right, I got to fix this. I'm going to start drinking vodka instead because there's no Fair. sugar in that. And here's the thing. It worked. Like your your blood sugar goes back down. And switching to whiskey actually did help John Daly lose weight. But not just that. Oh, he's going to do something actually healthy. No, no, actually no. Oh. Because this is the rip-roaring cocaine 80s where people are throwing around a lot of questionable health tips. Tips? Got any health tips? Tips? You got any tips? Give me that whiskey. <laughs> Fuck you. His coach, in the name of helping John Daly achieve his weight loss goals, is like, well, now that you've made the switch to whiskey, here's another thing you can do to lose weight. Start smoking. This is a very Soviet dance coach kind of a <laughs> thing here. It sure is. So when you see all those ballerinas ripping butts outside. <laughs> Yeah, and smoking does indeed curb your appetite. The other thing, too, because it is the 80s, and this is very important to add, he's also going to eat something that is essentially like what people thought diet food was in the 80s. Right, which is Special K. Ooh. I love a Special K. It's a very unique flavor. It's a Rice Krispie Flake. It's interesting. Yeah, but they use that. That's been peddled as a diet food ever since it existed. Yeah, there used to be a Special K diet. Where they were like, eat Special K twice a day and then eat a regular meal. You'll lose weight. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's 100 calories. <laughs> I always like that. Like any company where they're like, eat our food twice a day. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'd do, I'd do that too. Eat the M&M's diet. Eat 15 bags every day and you'll win a PGA tour. Yeah, but it worked. He would eat one bowl. Let's not overstate it. He would eat one bowl of Special K a day. And then he would get yeah. the rest of his calories from whiskey and then he would smoke and he'd sometimes eat some dry popcorn. And that was it. It's wild to me that, oh, his shits must have been just devastating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, God. But it's wild to me that there's no reference to him just doing cocaine. Yeah, he doesn't seem like much of a drug guy. That 60 pounds would have been off in like two weeks. Yeah. But, I mean, then you run that Len Bias risk of, yeah, you achieve all your dreams. But cut short 
a little early when your heart explodes. I mean, his heart was going to explode anyway. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't yet. Very impressive. It's wild. So obviously all that worked. By Christmas, he had lost 65 pounds. That happened to me in that amount of time. I lost about 60 plus pounds in three months. Yeah, I'm fresh off of losing uh, around 40 in three months. And I love how differently we did it. Yeah. How did you do it? Uh, I did it with diet and exercise. Here's the thing. Still not healthy. Losing 65 pounds in three months. There is no way that is healthy. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think it was just I had it to lose because all I did was I just shifted to like a normal diet. Yeah, I was not eating. I was I gotta be honest here. I was not eating well before that. I was I was a two double whoppers in a sitting kind of guy. Yeah, there's like water weight and shit, too. So, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You got just terribly ill. Yeah, I can't recommend having your bowels catch on fire for three months enough when it comes to weight loss. I mean, it's got to be up there with a tapeworm, and those are hard to find now. And John Daly is just telling you whiskey, Special K, and cigarettes. Yeah, he's just pounding the whiskey and smoking smoking the cigs. Yeah, we're giving you, the listeners, three very viable options on how to maintain a healthy weight. Yeah, do any of them. Do all of them. Yeah, I was going to say do them all at once. Then you lose 195 pounds. Yeah, that makes the most sense. And not only did it work, but he only went to the ER for a whiskey overdose once, which my sister went to the hospital for a whiskey overdose once. It is a sight to behold. Man, oh man. But uh, speaking of his weight, we're 2.5 chapters into his autobiography by this point in the research. And he has mentioned his mom's Chocolate gravy and biscuits about 10 times already. Jeff, what is this? Can I say something? I don't care. I just need it. Yeah, I've never heard the term chocolate gravy. So I'm guessing, well, it's, you know, I mean, gravy is obviously just a thickening agent and fat. I mean, I know what it is, Jeff. I know it's going to be like a thick chocolate sauce on biscuits. I've just never heard of it. I'm guessing, though, it's probably... (laughs) If I were to guess at that time, it's probably a form of melted chocolate mixed in with a standard sausage gravy, maybe, and therefore you get the sweet and savory mixed together. Oh, that would be horrifying, and I want no fucking part of that. I still want to try it, though. I'm not going to lie. I I would not. I hope it's not that. I hope it's just the chocolate, no sosh, but... (sighs) I mean, I think we can all agree that it's something that we all need to have. Apparently, it's a very, very common Southern thing to have. Well, I figured, yes. It is. Uh, the ingredients are uh, flour, sugar, baking powder, baking soda, salt, vegetable shortening, so Crisco, buttermilk, unsalted butter, uh, salted butter, cocoa, and whole milk. So no sausage. I win. Good. No, no sausage fat. No. So he would also make extra money around this time in college by hustling older golfers at local golf clubs, which you got to do. If you're that young and that good at golf, of course you do that. Yeah. And he would then spend that money getting drunk every night, sometimes with friends, sometimes alone, which that's bad. You don't want to be getting drunk alone several nights a week or most nights, honestly. And nevertheless, still great at golf. So much so that he dropped out of college after his junior year and turned pro. Normally, you're like, come on, man, finish up. But at this point in time, he was there for a golf scholarship anyway. Like, Yeah. That's not one where it's like, oh, I only have a finite amount of years to be good at this sport. Yeah. And 
it's the same thing with any college athlete. Like once you hit the point where you can make that pro money, fucking get out of there. You can always go back to college. Yeah, just look at Shaq. Yeah, go to fucking Grand Canyon University and you're... I got my doctorate in education. He's got a doctorate in making commercials is what he's got. Yeah, man. He's, I need the general money. Do you need the general money, Shaq? He gets the bag. No athlete in history, no celebrity in history has ever gotten that bag more than Shaq. Yeah, maybe Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is so obscenely rich. True, but Michael Jordan, you know, obviously a lot of his money comes from the Air Jordan line now at this point in time. Yeah. You know, he yeah. I mean obviously he had Gatorade and and McDonald's and stuff, but like with Shaq, Shaq's diversifying so hard. Remember when Michael Jordan tried to bring the Hitler mustache back? And that Haynes commercial. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a bold move. And everyone's just like, we're not going to... We're right. just talking about the tagless shirt? Yeah. Are you you sure we don't want to... him be like that in that commercial? about this right here? It's Michael Jordan, what are you going to do? We see you. It's a video, it's a video commercial, <laughs> Michael. So, John Daly, his pro golf career, it gets off to a pretty impressive start. He won his first pro tournament ever. And over the course of two months, he earns around $28,000 in late 80s money, which... It's like 3.2 million, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Could you imagine just pulling in 14 grand a month now, in 2022? Yeah. I'd be like, Jesus, I am a rich man. Yeah, even now, it would be amazing. But he didn't pass PGA qualifying school, which is a thing, apparently. What What is that? It is where you go to qualify for your PGA tour card. It's like finishing school? Gracefully and grandfully. It sounds like that's pretty much exactly what it is. It's Picturing a bunch of doofuses trying to drive a ball with a book on their head. <laughs> on his first try, 1988, he did not pass. So he spent a few years on what they call the mini tour circuit. And in his case, he was in South Africa. A great time to be in South Africa. Mm, late 80s. Yeah, there's no more. No better time. No moral really. conflicts with performing in South Africa at that point. I'm going to be honest. Being from Arkansas and going to South Africa, that's, that's a pretty lateral move. Yeah, especially at that point. It's just legal in South Africa. He's like, oh, you guys do the... Oh, okay. You guys, It's all on, it's on the yeah, papers. It's now. policy. Okay. So this is where he starts developing his reputation as a bit of a loose cannon on the pro circuit. He's partying every night. He's doing dangerous shit. There's a story in his autobiography about him being allowed to drive home from the bar one night, probably because everyone is drunk. So who, what's it matter who drives? And he got pissed at someone for something they said. And his claim, he says he started running red lights, which I believe. But his claim is that he ran 17 red lights before they managed to get him to pull over and calm down. Which begs the question, how far away was their hotel that they passed through 17 stoplights on the way? I mean, I guess it depends on what part of the city you're in. I guess, but that's a lot. And here's the other reason I don't believe it. That would be a remarkable bit of synchronicity if every red light you approach in that stretch or every light you approach in that stretch happens to be red. Because if not, that means there's probably what, like 25, 30 lights. I would also like to add, too, that uh, they're all drunk. How do you remember how many there are? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there is that story. But like, you know, I think of like downtown L.A. and in a in a one mile stretch, there's probably 20 lights mm, i'm i'm suspect if you're going down like spring street or some shit yeah i'm sus 
You you are sus. There was another famous incident in South Africa where he had a good first round. So he went to a casino to celebrate and he lost twenty five thousand dollars. That's a problem. Yeah. Like good for you for having that kind of money. But also this is a point where he's making like we just said twenty eight thousand dollars in two months. So he's blowing a significant portion of his income. That would be like me losing nine hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It would be that's two months' salary right there. Yeah, that would be that would be bad times. So he was pissed about that. So he goes back to his hotel room and he puts a fist through the television screen, which uh, they were glass back then. So very dangerous. He very narrowly avoids ending his career. He didn't like cut any tendons or anything that would have never recovered. But also, doctors are like, "Well, this tournament you're supposed to play in tomorrow, you're going to have to withdraw." Obviously, you have just gouged your hand open. And John Daly says, bullshit, I am going to finish that tournament. And he goes out and he fucking wins. Of course he does. What a rags to riches story. That's that's the the Disney feel good story we want to see. It's the prequel to the feel good story we want to see. Because he has another one very shortly thereafter. He's overcoming adversity here. He is. He's beating the odds. He's beating the odds, you know, the the deck is stacked against him. You're not good enough to play in the PGA. Well, I'll go to racist hell. <laughs> oh, okay. And then he goes there and he's like, you're not good enough to not get drunk and run 17 red lights in a row without dying. He's like, just watch me, dad. And he's like, I can't. I'm, a, I'm doing construction. <laughs> and then he's like, you're not good enough to lose $25,000 and then knock out a TV with your fist. And he's like, you just see me. And they're like, oh, your hand's broken. You can't play golf. And he's like, I'm going to play golf. And then he wins. And then he wins. God. He's like Denzel Washington in Flight. Yeah, it's the greatest game ever played, you know? The movie Flight is basically Rocky for cocaine addicts. <laughs> like, that is that is a man with some deep, deep problems overcoming him to do a really cool thing. And that's John Daly's entire career, too. Hell yeah. So in 1990, he returns to the U.S. to play on the Hogan Tour, the PGA's Hogan Tour. Hulk Hogan Tour. The Hulk Hogan Tour, the Hulkamania Tour. (laughs) What you gonna do when this 320-yard drive goes wild on you? Hazards, you're just getting fucking suplexed if your ball goes Every once in a while, yeah, macho man Randy Savage starts choking you out. (laughs) You better, is, you better hit that ball. <laughs> that yeah. is golf I would watch the shit out of. The Hogan Tour, it's like the minor leagues for golf. Or like the NBA G League. It's a development league. And he plays well enough there that he, he gets back to PGA qualifying school and he makes it. He gets his tour card. Hell yeah, he passed the test. So he, in 1991, becomes a pro and survived another trip to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. He's defying the odds every time. It's nice to see someone not have to sacrifice who they are to achieve their dreams. Yeah, he stood up for himself, and that's huge. Yeah, I think that, yeah, this really is a story about embracing your true self. Absolutely. Allowing yourself to grow without compromising your integrity. (laughs) Exactly. That is the John Daly story. So his first couple of months on the PGA Tour, they're good, but they're not great. He wasn't stinking up the joint, but he's not really winning any tournaments. But he does make $160,000 in the first few months, less than a year on the tournament. So that's good. That's who among us? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to win tournaments, at least take home $160,000. Words to live by. Have we ever covered anybody that seems like more of an attainable get for an episode than John Daly? Like, you want to come on this show and just talk about it? Yeah, especially if we like reach out at night when he's going to be hammered. Just joking, he's going to be hammered any time of day. I wonder if he's still drinking, though. He had bladder cancer recently, which probably had a lot to do with the fact that the other addiction we haven't mentioned, and I don't think I put in the notes, 15 cans of Diet Coke a day. I always found that Diet Coke is a fascinating drink that's like the official beverage of of people with a weight problem. And it's like, oh, why are you doing this? Diet Coke's disgusting. And it's like bad for you because you end up drinking so much more. And so you're just basically just pumping all these chemicals into you with a, at least with a, a classic Coca-Cola. It's going to fill you up a little bit faster. Yeah. There's no soda that's good for you. Except Dr. Pepper because it's so tasty. Yeah. Dr. Pepper 10 fucking rules. So John Daly, he's finally turned pro in 1991. He's doing fine, but he's not doing great. He's not getting a lot of attention or notice. He earns that $160,000. And for some tournaments, the thing that qualifies you is, well, how much money have you made up to this point this year? And his $160,000 was not enough to earn him a spot at the upcoming PGA Championship, which took place at the awesomely named Crooked Stick Golf Club in Indianapolis in August 1991. But his earnings were enough to win him a ninth alternate spot. That's exactly what it sounds like. Highly Mm. unlikely, bordering on impossible that he's going to be in this tournament because one qualifier has to drop out, then eight people ahead of John Daly also have to be like, no, I don't want to play in that tournament and potentially win $230,000. Thank you, though. Pass. Hard pass. Yeah. So very, very unlikely to happen. And what happens next is the stuff of legend, and that legend is sort of accurate, but also sort of inaccurate. Yeah, It's a Frankenstein of stories mixing together to give us what is actually going to happen. Yeah, the details have been tweaked just a little over the course of history, it seems. To hear people tell it in most versions, before the start of the PGA Championship, Daly had relocated to Memphis. Seems like a bad city for him to live in, right? Is there a good one? At one point, he moves to Colorado, and it goes fucking haywire. I feel like Salt Lake City would be the only one that would be like, all right, we're going to leave him here. That's like dropping him off in the wilderness. Yeah, I, I was going to say Idaho, probably. He could just sit, like, have a property up on top of a fucking mountain, buy a bunch of guns, drink a bunch of booze. American dream, baby. Watch football on a blue field. <laughs> I hate that blue field so much. So he relocates to Memphis, and that's where he is. This is uh, the, the version of the story you hear most often. He's in Memphis when, at 2.30 in the morning, he gets a call, and... They're like, you're not going to believe this, but there is actually a spot in the PGA Championship for you if you want it, if you can make it here. And he's like, fuck yeah. He hops in his car and drives the six to seven hours from Memphis to Indianapolis, gets out of his car and immediately walks onto the course and starts playing in the PGA Championship. It didn't happen exactly that way. It's a bit of a tall tale. Yeah. Like, he rode a tornado to Indianapolis and carved the Grand Canyon on the way. 
But it also doesn't make it any less of an unlikely story, what happens next. He had actually decided the day before the tournament, which started on a Thursday, that Wednesday prior, he and his wife decide that they're going to drive to the PGA Championship in Indianapolis so John Daly can watch the tournament and also hang out with Fuzzy Zeller and get drunk. But Fuzzy Zeller, by the way, Fuzzy Zeller and John Daly, their names look like they should be switched. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because uh, Fuzzy Zeller looks like just like the clean cut version of John Daly. So he decides to drive up to Indianapolis the day before. And the trip takes a while because this is John Daly. Ends up taking around 10 hours. Unless there were red lights. Yeah, exactly. Then, <laughs> then he would have right blown through them and lived. They get to their motel room around 2.30 in the morning. And that is when he finds out there is a spot in the PGA Championship form. So still crazy unlikely that it was even going to happen. But he gets to his motel room. There's a message on the phone in the motel room. And they're like, if you can get here, you can play in the tournament. And I mean, that makes sense because he is there. Yeah, he was already there. But also, it wasn't just that he was there. It was that all of these people ahead of him did end up dropping out. The guy who had qualified for the tournament, Nick Price, his wife went into labor like a real selfish asshole. So he had to leave the tournament to go deal with that. But then somehow the eight other people ahead of John Daly all end up dropping out. Because you'd have to be there. Like, a lot of them are probably living across the country. And, like, can you get here in seven hours? And they're like, no. There are no flights out of Baltimore at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, there were some people who didn't want to do it because they wouldn't have time for a practice round, which John Daly also did not have time for a practice round. Well, you get money for last place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah dude, I would do that. Yeah, yeah I would still do it. But also, you don't necessarily want to have that bad of a showing out there in the world if you think you're going to do that bad. I don't know. I wouldn't give a goddamn. Yeah, maybe. Get that bag. Shack it. That said, making a tournament and winning a tournament are two completely different things. Maybe for you. True. Not for, I mean, for me, you just make it, you win it. (laughs) (laughs) So John Daly goes into this. He's unknown, basically, on the world stage when it comes to golf. I mean, people have heard of him, but he's not doing much as a pro. I'll tell you what, though. In the world of TV ass-kicking, legend. He has fucked some TVs up already by this point. So he's in, but there are no expectations for John Daly. He was tired from the drive. He barely got any sleep after that drive, and he didn't have time for a practice round because he was teeing off really early. But after the first round, he's just two shots off the lead, playing great. And this is the point in history when people first become familiar with John Daly. And the thing that really sticks out to people is the way he's driving the ball. Because this course that he's playing at, it's got all of these, it's a difficult course. It's got all these hazards and things that you have to maneuver around. And it was difficult then because people were driving the ball shorter. So your ball would like go near these hazards and you'd have to figure that out. John Daly's just hitting his ball over those hazards. He's just roofing the ball. (laughs) Just nailing it. And there is a video we'll link to. It's embedded in one of the articles we'll link to about 
1991 PGA Championship. But in that video, Ian Baker Finch, who was a CBS sports commentator, says it was the start of golf as we know it. And that's true. That's not. Yeah, it's not wrong about that. Like if you look into Bryson DeChambeau, DeChambeau, he is a guy who's kind of doing the same thing because he just all of a sudden was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get fucking ripped. Like I'm going to get wrestler ripped, but still play golf. And then I'll be able to drive the ball like 400 yards. And that's what happened. And people wanted to put rules in place that would prevent that from happening in the future. It's like, you're going to what? Make gains illegal? Yeah, like what are you what are you gonna get getting shredded? Abs or abs? <laughs> you know, if outlaw if abs are outlawed, only outlaws will have abs. Exactly. People will there'll be back alley abs. You know. You know who's that. gonna pull their sponsorship from a, a PGA tour? Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Hell yeah. You're gonna lose the Hogan tour if you pull away <laughs> 24 inch pythons off exactly. of the off of the docket. So. By the second round, he takes the lead in the tournament and he just becomes an overnight sensation because it's not just that he's this unknown golfer who comes out of nowhere is the last person to get in the tournament. And now he's contending for the lead. He's also John Daly. And if you go watch clips from this match, he looks like John Daly. Yeah, there's, there's, he's not in a costume here. He's he's him. He's in a John Daly costume. He's got a mullet. He's wearing a white polo shirt. He's got the creepiest little wispy mustache. Yeah. He does not look like a professional golfer. And it's also one of those things, too, where like he's going to get national media attention just by coming out from nowhere and leading the pack. Yeah. Like, you know, Sports Center is going to be like, look at this fucking guy. And then people are going to get turned on to that. Yeah, he ends up becoming so popular in such a short amount of time. Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, reaches out and is like, hey, do you want to come to a Colts game tonight? Granted, preseason game. So A Colts preseason game. That's like it's like winning a $5 Applebee's gift card. Yeah. You're like, that's somehow worse than not getting anything. And in the 80s, no less. Yeah, what was that? They were just like, hey, remember Johnny Unitas? That was fun. That was what, like... 18, 19 years ago? Yeah, that was Baltimore, too. So can't even barely claim it. Yeah. The reason I bring up this Colts game that he attended, not that anything super special happened there, but it did kick off a weird chain of events where John Daly ends up as a kicker on the 1992 All Madden team. And if people are unfamiliar, John Madden would do this thing every year where it would be like him picking his own version of an all-star team, but it would be based on John Madden's special set of criteria. Boom. And somehow... Is that criteria that he looks like me? (laughs) Well, the thing about John Daly, he's an athlete, baby. And one of the things he was also good at was kicking a football. There is a story in his autobiography, which is called My Life in the Rough, I should mention if people want to check it out. Perfect title for him. It really is. We'll link to all of this. But there's one story that I don't think I put in the notes where he goes to an NFL practice and he's talking about how good of a kicker he is. And the coach is like, well, if you can hit three, I think it was like 35 yard field goals, I'll let the whole team leave practice an hour early, which If you've ever participated in a sports practice of any sort, except baseball, maybe like you want you want to cut that shit early, especially football practice. It is brutal. So these players are like, hell, yeah, I want to leave. 
And he fucking does it. He hits three fucking <laughs> field goals. And that is what leads to him being on the Madden team as a kicker. That's so great. So the morning of the final round of the PGA Championship, he's this huge sen- sensation all of a sudden. And back then, there was no texting. There were no blackberries. There was Communicating wasn't as easy as it is now. And golf had this system where if you wanted to get a message to someone who was competing in a tournament, you wrote that message, and then you gave it to the locker room attendant. And the locker room attendant would put that message in that golfer's locker. And John Daly gets to his locker the morning of the final round of the PGA Championship, and he's got... All of these messages from different golfers and celebrities, all like wishing him good luck. And the last one he finds is from Jack Nicholas, the man who taught him to play golf through a series of drawings in Golf Digest magazine. And was the Joker in 1989, of course. Correct. Everyone. Famous. Everyone knows that. And yeah, he's like, this is his, this is his hero. This is who he idolized growing up. And now this guy, his, his hero has recognized him. And John Daly still has that note framed and hanging in his home. He punches the frame every three weeks. He sure does. And with that motivation under his belt, John Daly goes out and wins the fucking PGA championship. Hell yeah, he does. In his words, the last guy to get into the PGA Championship finished first. Here's another fun quote, though, from John Daly. He was talking about how the entire weekend was kind of a blur when he wins his championship. And here's what he says about it. It was just like every other tournament week. Wake up, breakfast at McDonald's, play golf, dinner at McDonald's, go to bed, then wake up and do it all over again. This man loves McDonald's almost as much as he loves his mom's chocolate gravy and biscuits. You could say he eats it twice daily. What do you mean? Because his last name is Daily. It's spelled different, though. There's an I. But they're, they're homonyms. I do like how he's just like, just like every other day, you know, I wake up, breakfast from McDonald's, do my job, <laughs> dinner at McDonald's. And he's like, well, that's the quintessential American, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. God, I want to get breakfast from McDonald's right now. I know. I haven't had McDonald's breakfast in a while. I got a Carl's Jr. really close, and I fucks with it. So he actually loves McDonald's so much that one of the really iconic moments from him winning the PGA Championship involves him briefly leaving the course during a celebration to go to a McDonald's drive-thru in a stretch limousine. He stands up out of the top of the sunroof and orders from a McDonald's drive-thru. And then goes back to Crooked Stick to keep partying. But he did something else after the PGA Championship that got a lot less attention. For one thing, he finished with a 69 after the first round, which fucking nice, nice. dude. Nice. But he didn't know he had a 69. <laughs> fucking nice. Until the next day, because his first round and the entire first round at one point was cut short because a storm swept through. And nice. There was lightning with it, so the round was called off. Course had to be evacuated. And unfortunately, a 39-year-old spectator named Tom Weaver was struck in the chest by lightning while running to his car. Is he wearing like armor? Yeah, that is some movie shit right there. Oof, not nice. 
he died at the scene and he left behind a wife and two daughters aged 12 and 8. John Daly hears about this and without alerting the media first, which is my favorite kind of charity on a celebrity's part, he donates $30,000 of his $230,000 PGA Championship winnings to set up a college fund for Weaver's two daughters. This is a quote. I just felt like I had to do something. Almost a responsibility, since I felt Tom Weaver was out on the course because of us players, and I thought in my heart it was the godsend thing to do. I don't know if that's how you say that, but I get, do you say the godsend thing to do? I don't understand that phrasing, but also, I don't know what Cooper Brown's up to or whatever his name is, so, or Cooter Brown. Cooter Brown. I'm as confused as Cooter Brown. Yeah. (laughs) I found an article about this from 2021, where someone followed up on this family uh, 30 years after this happened. And this money they talk about in the article, the mom reaches out to a financial advisor when John Daly gives them this money and has him help her invest it because it's still a few years before those kids are going to go to college. Her name, by the way, Dee Weaver. I believe you can invest properly. Man, that is a reference that's going to land. I got to tell you, you're welcome. I bring all the hot licks, all the hot licks to the show. That song's blowing up on TikTok right now, I think. So this financial advisor helps her invest this money, and it ends up paying for both of the girls' college educations, and then there's just a ton of money left over. This is a quote from Emily Weaver, one of the daughters. My mom got it invested and the funds had grown. My sister used all of it for her schooling and I used it for what I needed to pay for school at the time. And the rest of that money is still invested. We have four kids and it's a legacy that has been created for our family. So fuck yeah. I like that they didn't just blow through it. Pretty dope. It's so funny how they, how much, what they did with John Daly's money as opposed to what John Daly did with John Daly's money. Yeah, that's the thing. You hear... Oh, he won $230,000 and he gave them 30000 Big deal. Like, if he's making that much playing golf, he's got a – that 30000 is probably nothing. You got to keep in mind, John Daly was already John Daly by this point. So most of his money's going to gambling and alcohol. So giving up $30,000 was actually a pretty big financial hit for John Daly at the time. That's one night at a casino. It is. Like, literally. It's unfair. Like, he could have gone out and done the thing he loves the most, which is losing money at casinos and getting hammered. And then punching a fucking, (laughs) throwing a Mike Mike Tyson uppercut through a goddamn TV. John Daly said he was always really reluctant to reach out to this family after this because he didn't want to bring back bad memories of what happened to their dad. But the family reached out to him in 2005. To ask for more money. Yeah, yeah. They were like, listen, we got more kids. They got to go to college now. Do right by us, please. You killed our dad. And they they end up meeting at a charity golf tournament in Indianapolis later that year. It's a quote from John Daly. I just met two wonderful people. I met a great mother and a great stepfather who also stepped up to take great care of those girls. I told them that I was just so proud of them for what they accomplished, and to this day was so sad for what they went through at a young age. So that's a uh, probably not the expected ending people had for this episode. And uh, that's just like how John Daly does it. Don't matter. We're going to surprise you. Yeah. Big twist at the end. 
philanthropist, McDonald's enthusiast, enemy to TVs everywhere, John Daly. Yeah, that's that's the thing in contrasting him with Tony Stewart. Like he's got Tony Stewart energy, but he doesn't have killed a guy energy. He's got, oh, your dad was killed. Here's thirty thousand dollars energy. Yeah. Like he seems like a genuinely all right guy. Yeah, he seems decent enough, which is nice. He and his wife have some some wild times, and that gets a little. They sure tense. do. Boy, do they! His wives. He's got. He's he's been married several times. We'll probably do an episode just about his wives. My wives. My wives. What is that from? That's from uh, John Daly podcast. Oh yeah, 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 sports. yeah. No, I think it's the Tiger Woods podcast. You're getting them mixed up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife hit me with a golf club. <laughs> so that's our episode. That's a sode. Next week, or the next episode, I don't know if it'll be next week, probably two weeks. Also quite a twist ending. A thing happens at the end that you're not going to expect. That's what John Daly does. He keeps you guessing. He sure does. He's a curveball, a madman, a loose cannon. Always coming out of nowhere. Speaking of things that people don't expect, Jeff, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Well, I don't know if you know this. I have cool friends, and I have a podcast called Jeff Has Cool Friends. It's uh, available at patreon.com slash May. Uh, mm-hmm. as well as other shows like Ugh Fine with Kim Crawl uh, and more. You can check that out again, patreon.com slash Jeffmate. If you want to hear the episode uh, off of Patreon, you can do that too. It's free a week later with the swears bleeped out because fuck you if you don't want to pay me. You're going to hear beeps. Pass fuck that. you. Uh, and then, of course, Tom and Jeff watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. And, uh, you know, I'm a regular co-host on Unpops. And also, Adam doesn't even like sports. Go ahead, Adam. We'll see about that on Pops thing, bub. Hmm, Keep it up. Do this to me. Keep it up. Uh, I don't have anything. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Todd Brown, Todd with one D. I'm going to start doing some some more stuff soon, so keep your eyes peeled there. And uh, fucking, that's it, man. Let's fucking, get out of here. Let's go. Jeff, say goodbye. You get the that dead guy's family rookie card, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye. We love you. Bye.